up every morning at the break of dawn to make bricks. Wiping sweat from their brow, feeling the sun scorching down on their backs, hoping they didn't catch the attention of their taskmasters, lest they be beat. At the end of the day, they would finally fall into bed, emotionally, physically exhausted, only to repeat the same process the very next day for 400 years. But finally, finally a day of, came, a day of change came. Finally, a moment of going from here to there finally arrived. We read in Exodus 12, there beginning in verse 40, the time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. But how did they do it? How did they go from here to there? How did they go from bondage to freedom? Well, you remember, we talked about this just last week, how any major change like this that ever takes place, it begins when one cries out to God. We saw in Exodus 2, there beginning of verse 23, during those many days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. But why then? Why not 429 years earlier or any time between the two? Why take over 400 years to finally hear the prayers of the Israelites? To hear the prayers of those who've been in Egyptian bondage for so long? Now, this is purely speculation on my part, but I can't help but wonder if maybe God wasn't waiting for the Israelites to finally reach a point of being absolutely, totally dependent upon Him. Reaching a point when they knew that they couldn't fix it, that they couldn't solve it, that there was absolutely no hope without God intervening for them. Because this is one thing that we see <clears throat> here as the author is writing. There is absolutely a, a desperation on the part of the children of Israel at this point. Again, I don't think it was the first prayer ever prayed. I don't think that all of a sudden they finally decided, oh yeah, maybe we should talk to God after being in captivity for over 400 years. But this time, for whatever the reason, they cried out. They didn't just like go to God with that like half-hearted attitude that maybe we do sometimes where we say, hey, you know, God, uh, I know you're busy. I know you got a lot of things going on right now. And, uh, you know, if you don't mind, if you could find some time, if there's any way, you know, again, I don't want to trouble you. I know you got a lot happening, but, you know, if, if you could help us out. We, you know, we're, we're getting kind of tired of this whole Egyptian bondage thing. And, and, and you know, it, but, but, you know, if you can, we understand. We understand. No, they cried out. They cried out to God, and God heard their cries. God heard their groanings. 
and he intervened in a major way. He took them from a place of bondage to a place of freedom. If we believe, if we ever reach a point in our life where we believe we can handle all that life throws at us, that, that we can fix it, whatever the problem may be, then if you're like me, what you have found in your own personal life, as I have time and time again, it's almost like God will just let you kind of knock yourself out <laughs> trying to fix it yourself until you finally, you finally realize that it's only Him and Him alone that can provide the solution, can provide the answers, can help you get from here to there. <laughs> But that takes a complete and total surrender to God. One of the ways that God will help us, by the way, to take us from here to there, is God will bring people into our life. People who can help us. Godly people who can help take us from here to there. And I know you know the story. For the children of Israel, God used a man named Moses. And Moses helped to lead the children of Israel out of that Egyptian bondage that they had been in for so very long. But before we talk about Moses, let's talk about the children of Israel. Let's talk about what, how they responded to Moses. In chapter 4 it says there, beginning verse 29, Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs on the side of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. How did the children of Israel receive Moses? They welcomed him. They, they, they humbly welcomed him. That's something we don't always do, is it? You see, sometimes when, when God sends someone into our life to help us, we are very quick to resist. We're very quick to say, hey, thanks, but no thanks. You know, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I appreciate the help you're trying to offer, but, but I got this. I, I don't need your help. Maybe God tries to send us someone who's going to help us with our marriage, maybe with our parenting, maybe with our spiritual life. It could be any number of things that, that's happening in our life that's going, it's going astray, going awry, and God is putting someone in right in front of us, and we go, I got it. Someone comes and they very humbly say, listen, I'm, I'm just watching from the outside. and I love you very much. And I, I'm just very concerned about the road you're on. I, I'm concerned about the path you're traveling. And we say, don't be. Hey, don't you worry about me. I'm sure you got your own problems to worry about, right? I mean, don't, don't worry about me. I got it all fixed out. I got, it all, I got a plan. I got it all worked out in my mind. You don't have to spend any time worrying about me. We just like, push it away. Why do we do that? Sometimes it's our pride. Sometimes we are just so prideful that even though we may not say it out loud because we know how prideful it sounds, we really don't think that there's anything somebody else can tell us. We really think in our mind that we have all the answers. We know everything we need to know. And there is absolutely nothing that someone else can teach us or tell us 
that we don't already know. And so our pride, our pride keeps us from hearing them. You see this a lot of times with individuals whose life is about to completely implode, but they absolutely refuse to go to any form of counseling at all. What does the Bible call that? The Bible calls that foolish. Proverbs 12.15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. If we want to be counted amongst those who are wise, then we need to have a heart that's humble enough to hear a heart that's humble enough to listen, a heart that isn't so prideful that it thinks that we already know everything and we already have all the answers. Sometimes we allow our pride to to get in the way, to keep us from receiving the very people that God is sending our way. Again, we think that we don't need the help. And it's sad. It's tragic, really that sometimes we will allow our own pride to keep us from receiving the help that we need the most. And sometimes it's a little bit deeper than just our pride. Sometimes it's just that our ego is too fragile. You know what your ego is, right? Your ego is that part of you that whenever someone offers you the slightest criticism, you automatically go, that's your ego. And I think all of us have parts of our life where we feel strong and we feel secure. And if someone wants to offer some constructive criticism or constructive feedback, we handle it pretty well. Because we're strong, we're secure in that area. Our ego is good in that area. But then I also think we probably all have areas of our own life. They're different for every one of us. It's not so strong. It's pretty weak. And if someone says anything about that particular area of our life, It hurts. Even if it comes from someone that we know loves us, cares about us, when they want to talk about that one thing, whatever that one thing is, man, it just, it it digs so deep and and it, you feel like it's absolutely going to crush you because it hurts. And in those moments, the temptation The temptation is to want to just like bury our head in the sand like an ostrich and not face it. But if we ever want to be able to move forward, move forward with our life, whatever it may be, whatever area it may be in, we've got to be willing to face even the toughest of realities so that we can move forward. So how do we do that? How do we face truth at times that can absolutely crush our ego? I think it's very important to know who we belong to and where our roots truly run. See, it begins with having your identity where it's supposed to be. Hopefully all of us as children of God, hopefully we understand that our identity is rooted in Christ. And the reason that our our identity is rooted in Him, the reason we can have this strong relationship with Him, is because we understand the will of God. We understand the love of God. We understand that the love of God is is absolutely perfect. We, We understand that God loves us no matter what. We understand how sacrificial the love of God is. We understand the the purpose and the plan that God has for us. We understand all these wonderful things about God that that makes our our roots run very deep. And and it makes our our roots run strong. 
We want to have a strong identity in Christ. Because sometimes, sometimes our security and our self-worth, it's not really based on our relationship with Jesus, is it? Sometimes our security and self-worth in this life, it's based on our kids. It's based on our marriage. It's based on our job. It's based on our appearance. It's based on these and so many other worldly and trivial things that they don't sustain. They don't provide a good foundation. It's very sandy, very weak. And as long as our identity, as long as we're trying to find our identity in the things of this world, that ego, man, that ego is still going to continue to be so very fragile at times. But if we will root our identity deeper and deeper in Christ, then and only then can we face the realities of this life, no matter what they may be, and move forward. Because He, Jesus Christ, He gives us the power. He enables us to overcome and to move forward in this life. Now when it comes to helping other people, the way Moses helped, man, I, I don't know that there's many things in this life quite as important, quite as rewarding as offering a helping hand, whether it be to one another or to someone outside of Christ. Being able to help someone is such a blessing. And we all need those moments from time to time in our life, as did the children of Israel. Listen to what God said here to Moses. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. There are times, there are times that people cry out to God because of something that is amiss in their life. And God hears their cries. And God prepares to act on those cries. And when He prepares to act on those cries, He looks at you. Because He wants His good work to be done through you. He, he wants you to be the vessel in that moment to help someone through whatever the struggle of their life may be. Through whatever it is that they may be crying out to Him about. He wants you to be the one who's extending that, that helping hand But do you believe that? Moses did not. <laughs> Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Hold up! <laughs> Lord, you want me to do what? You want me to go back to Egypt and you want me to lead them out. You want me to go to Pharaoh and, and lead the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. They are the backbone of Pharaoh's money-making. They are the ones who do all the labor. They do all the work. They are everything. They are the slaves who are oppressed, who are doing everything for Pharaoh. And you want me to go to him and say, let them go? Mm-mm. You have the wrong man in mind. 
Now, why would Moses think that he was possibly the wrong person? Well, one is, if you remember, and I'm sure you remember your Bible history, Moses had some history in Egypt. Not only had he grown up in Egypt, but there was a point in his adult life he had to flee from Egypt. He had to run away from Egypt. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 2. It says there, beginning verse 11, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Then verse 15 says, When Pharaoh heard it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. That's where Moses has been, by the way, for the last 40 years. Up until this point when God speaks to him and says, go to Pharaoh, he has been in Midian for the last 40 years. He hasn't gone home and made things right with Pharaoh between now and then. This was his last encounter in Egypt four decades before. He ran out of Egypt because he was guilty of murder. And now God's saying, I I want you to go back. I want you to go back and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. No. I've got that history. I've got that baggage. I've got that thing in my past. I can't, I'm not the guy. You ever had that thought? You ever had that feeling that maybe your past disqualifies you from serving the Lord in the present? Because it doesn't. Whatever your, your past may be, It doesn't disqualify you from serving God in the present and the future. If anything, our past and the things that we go through in this life, they often help to equip us to better help someone else in this world. Who better better than someone who has overcome an addiction to reach out and help someone who's struggling in an addiction? Who better than someone who has gone through the heartbreak of grief to reach out to someone who's in the midst of grief? You see, whatever it may be, whatever our past may be, whatever our experiences may be, whether they were poor choices we made or just life experiences we absolutely have no control over that we go through, either way, those things equip us They equip us to reach out to those who are in the midst of those storms in the here and now. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, there beginning in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Church, why does God see us through the storms of this life? To equip us to help others as they go through those same storms. To give us a comfort that then we should be able and willing to share with those who are in the midst of those same storms. Now, another reason that Moses may have felt that he was not the man Could have been his age. Could have been his age. 
Moses was 80 years old at this particular point in his life. Now, obviously, he lived another 40 years. He lived to be 120. So this is just, you know, he's over halfway to the end. But I'm sure he didn't know that. He's 80 years old, and I would assume most 80-year-olds probably wouldn't be jumping at the opportunity to lead a mass exodus out of Egypt. I've done my time. I've taken care of the sheep all these years. I've been a shepherd the last four decades, man. I've been doing my thing here quietly around Midian. I was getting ready to just relax. I I was thinking about selling off a, a big portion of the herd just so we could chill for the next however long I have left here. And you want me to get up and do what? You, you want me to go lead who? A very important life lesson here is that God is not a respecter of age. It doesn't matter how old we are, how young we are, anywhere in between, that God desires and that God will equip any and all of us to be able to serve one another and to serve the world around us. As we grow in this life, grow older, years should provide us with godly wisdom as we seek it, as we speak to God in prayer. But we also find the experiences that come from just life, don't we? And the life experiences that we go through. Proverbs chapter 20, and verse 29 says, The glory of young men is their strength. The splendor of old men is their gray hair. Now, my translation, I might want to say the splendor of gray hair and, and the, the hairs that just turn loose. You know, for those of us who are balding, that's a part of it too. As we get a little bit older, our hair's just let loose and they're gone. And it's a sign of age. should be a sign of wisdom. So it shouldn't matter how old or how young we are. We should know that every day there's, there's probably a God-given opportunity for us to serve Him or to serve someone who is around us. Moses also just plainly didn't think he was gifted enough to be the man to do the job. He spoke about this to God in Exodus chapter 4 there in verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. God, I've never been a man to get up in front of a crowd I've never been someone, even before you met me, even way back when I was being raised in the palace of Pharaoh, I wasn't eloquent in my speech. And I haven't become eloquently since you spoke to me. I'm still slow of speech. I still have a problem with my words. You ever felt that way? You ever been confronted with a situation where, man, you just felt like you didn't have the right words? You saw something, you, you felt compelled to say something, but you were just so afraid that your words would be the wrong words, that, that you would say something that would probably hurt instead of help. and So because you were afraid of what you might say, you just didn't say anything. Sometimes that may be restraint if you're going to say the wrong thing. But sometimes that's just fear on our part. 
It's fear. It's a lack of trust that God will guide our words. That God will see us through that moment. That our words will actually be His words. God will equip us, church. He'll equip us to say what needs to be said. He'll equip us at times with the restraint to not say the things that don't need to be said. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who make him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Now that's power. (laughs) That is the power of Creator God right there saying, okay, you're worried about what you're going to say. You're worried about whether or not you're going to say the right thing. Who made your mouth? Who gives you the ability to speak to begin with? Who gives you the ability to see to begin with? Is it not I, God, the Creator and Sustainer of all? Moses, I'll be with you. I'll be with your mouth. I'll teach you what to say. What an amazing promise from God. But Moses, like a lot of us, (laughs) Moses was still real hesitant. Even this promise of God saying, I'll be with you, Moses. He still had to have Aaron. He still needed that that rod from God that was an absolute proof of the presence of God. And once he had those pieces in place, then then he finally felt, I guess, confident enough to finally go and do what God had commanded him to do. God is not going to tell us to go and, and to help without equipping us. God promised Moses, I will be with you. When Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, this same promise is found here. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I commanded you. Here's the promise. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Christian, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid to go whether it be to, to make disciples or just to comfort someone as they go through the pains of this life, you can know that God will be with you. But right now, someone, someone is in the, step, in the, the process of being in bondage to something. Right now. Right now, they're crying out to God about whatever that bondage is. Right now, God is hearing their cries. Right now, God is preparing to act. Right now, God is looking at you. He's looking to you to act on His behalf for this person who's crying out in need. But will we? The experiences of life, the wisdom of God, the Word of God, these things and so many more, they equip us. 
if we'll just go. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, there beginning in verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete. Equipped for every good work. What a wonderful work it is to extend our hand to one another. What a wonderful work it is to open up our heart, our life, to those who are in need. God can do great things through us if we'll just allow Him to. Maybe you're with us this morning. Maybe you are someone who is in bondage. Maybe this morning you would like for your church family that surrounds you today to cry out to God on your behalf. I want you to know we would be honored to do that. Maybe there's some need in your life that you have that we might be able to help you with. We would be honored to do that as well. We, as children of God, we're blessed to be a part of His family, no doubt. And we're blessed to be able to extend our hands to one another in those times of need as we all have them. And we are certainly blessed to extend our hands to those in the world around us and to comfort them as we've been comforted. If we can help you with any needs you might have, won't you come as we stand and sing?